Hey, before we get started, I want to remind you that Truce is listener-supported. If you want to be a part of this one-of-a-kind show that asks big questions in an approachable way, become a patron. For just $5 a month, you can help me tell big stories like this upcoming season on the history of fundamentalism. And you'll get access to bonus materials. That's all at patreon.com slash trucepodcast. That's patreon.com slash trucepodcast. Hello, everybody. To start the show today, we're going to begin with a Bible verse. With little or no explanation of why this Bible verse. Uh, We'll get to that eventually. It's from Genesis, right at the beginning of the Bible. Chapter 1, verses 27 to 28. From the New American Standard, here it is. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. That's it. Two verses from the beginning of the Bible. Now, off the top of your head, what do those verses mean? Well, there's the creation of humanity, the command to be fruitful and multiply, and to subdue the earth, and to cultivate. These two verses are at the center of a debate that we're having right now in this country over what it means to subdue the earth. How do we do that? And what it looks like when we go to extremes. You're listening to the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the church. I'm Chris Sterren. This is Truce. In April of 2018, NPR's podcast Embedded released a story about Scott Pruitt. It's some good reporting, and there's a link to it on our website, or you can find it on their podcast feed. It was part of a series about officials in the Trump administration. Pruitt, as you may know, is the current head of the Environmental Protection Agency. I had the honor of speaking to some of the reporters for that NPR story. The first is Joe Wirtz. Sure. Uh, my, my name is Joe Wirtz. I am a reporter for State Impact Oklahoma. It's kind of a uh, collaborative journalism project. Uh, we work with NPR and the, and the stations here and report on, uh, you know, focus mostly on, on, on government policy and how government policy affects people and, and, and people's lives and livelihoods. He recorded our conversation on his end. I'm in the KOSU studio in, in downtown Oklahoma City. Thanks, KOSU. So Joe's work on the story goes back a little ways. You know, did a lot of reporting on Pruitt and Pruitt's role as AG in Oklahoma um, as he you know, transform that agency into one that really took aim at the federal government. When he was the attorney general of Oklahoma, Scott Pruitt set up a unit to look into federal government overreach, a federalism unit. He's a state's rights guy. He did that after he dissolved the Environmental Protection Unit for the state of Oklahoma. You know, led lawsuits against the federal government, um, certainly on the environmental front. He sued the EPA 14 times. The embedded story, uh, you know, came on my radar. I had, you know, been talking to uh, the folks I work with at NPR for a long time about this interesting pollution case um, that was this, you know, long simmering uh, case over this watershed that Oklahoma and Arkansas, you know, share. This water story is a big part of the embedded episode. 
I spoke with another reporter from Embedded about why they include this particular event in their story. Uh, we'll be going between him and Joe Wirtz. His name is Tom. Sure. My name is Tom Dreisbach, and I'm a producer with the NPR podcast Embedded. He was kind enough to record his end at NPR in Los Angeles. So they chose this one part of Pruitt's history to focus on. I mean, I think the question um, that is raised by appointing and nominating Scott Pruitt to run the Environmental Protection Agency is, what is his record on the environment? And through looking at this Illinois River case, you can get a sense of you know, uh, what priorities he has when it comes to the environment. Here's a recap of that story. So the Illinois River starts in Arkansas, weaves over into Oklahoma. This river plays an important role in that area. It's used for recreation. Uh, Most people sort of, when they think about Oklahoma, associate Oklahoma with, you know, the the dry, windswept prairie. Um, But it's not like that at all in this part of the state. It's, It's lush and green. There's fly fishing and canoeing and kayaking and, you know, forests and, and just, you know, um, it's it's a big tourism draw. It's, it's it's just, you know, culturally very important to the people that live in this part of the state. And it's it's a lot of it is fed by this, this Illinois River. The river is at risk. There are these wastewater treatment plants upstream in Arkansas and a bunch of chicken farms. The chickens poop in these chicken farms and um, the, the waste and the feathers and the seed, all that stuff is scooped up. A common outcome for this this chicken waste, this, they call it chicken litter, is to, to spray it out onto a field. And it's actually a super good fertilizer, um, and so they've been land applying this chicken waste. Farmers spread it out on their fields, and the crops love this stuff. The trouble is that there's too much of it in concentrated areas. Specifically, the phosphorus inside this smelly mess leaches into the water, into the Illinois River, where it goes downstream to... Oklahoma, Scott Pruitt territory. It's so nutrient rich that it algae grows like crazy and, and you know makes the rivers slimy and gross and uh, hazardous to swim in. And the chicken waste pollutes the water. Now a lot of these chicken producers are upstream in Arkansas. Some are in Oklahoma too, but to deal with this problem, you know, a Democratic attorney general sued some of the chicken companies to get them to stop putting this waste out onto the land. That lawsuit eventually went to court. It was completed before Scott Pruitt took office as the Oklahoma attorney general. But the judgment still hasn't been handed down, even though it's been eight years. And critics of Pruitt, including people that worked on that case, said that, you know, uh, Pruitt essentially slow walk this case, that he he didn't push it forward, he didn't try to get it in front of the judge, he didn't try to draw attention to it, that, you know, there's a lot of different tools an an attorney might use, an attorney general might use to speed this case along if you wanted to see, um, you know, a resolution, especially if you were concerned about water quality, uh, you would want to see a resolution. And and, and critics would say, uh, and do say that, He didn't do any of that. Scott Pruitt, as the attorney general of Oklahoma, could have done something to nudge this case forward. It's just one of several examples where we see Pruitt's motivation. He's pro-industry, pro-business, even when it means hurting the environment. As he was running for attorney general, he was taking donations from from, from from the poultry industry and some of these chicken producers. So The Environmental Working Group reported that Scott Pruitt took $40,000 from the poultry industry for his 2010 campaign, 90% of which 
came from outside Oklahoma. And now, you know, the, the, the amount of that waste that had declined is now starting to tick back up. So it's still an ongoing issue. Scott Pruitt is in the news a lot right now. There's a lot of concern, mostly about his spending. He has a 24-7 security detail, even at Disneyland on a family vacation. Flying first class because he says it's safer. His staff installed a $43,000 soundproof booth in his office. And that's just the more sensational stuff. More troublesome is his conflicts of interest. Now that he's the head of the EPA, he's got more than a dozen former energy lobbyists on his staff. One of them is Nancy Beck, a lobbyist for the chemical industry whose current job at the EPA is to oversee toxic chemical regulations. The people who once pushed against the EPA are now running it. Certainly when he became attorney general in Oklahoma, you know, he started suing, you know, the federal government, started suing the EPA. Uh, but prior to that, he didn't really have much to say uh, about the environment or about energy. It was really something that he came to later on in his career. Um, so his the first part of his career was a lot more focused on religious liberty issues, um, about the role of government in people's lives, the sort of separation between um, church and the government and, and how he envisioned you know, th that relationship to be and what, what, what the boundaries were supposed to be. So Pruitt's early career was a lot more informed by religion and a lot more focused on religion. And, you know, he, he's a... Uh, an ambitious politician. Which brings us around to why we're covering this story on truce. Scott Pruitt is a Christian. That's what really piqued my interest when I heard the story on Embedded. Why would an NPR podcast about the Trump administration and Scott Pruitt turn into a discussion of Christianity? What do the two have to do with each other? A lot, as it turns out. And that we'll cover right after this message. God is a genius storyteller. And the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. Hi, this is Chris. At this point right here is when the audience is engaged in listening. This could be where we talk about your product or your ministry. I need your help to take this show full time. Uh, if you'd like to advertise on Truce, please send me an email at trucepodcast at yahoo.com. In the meantime, check out my novel Cradle Robber. It's a time travel thriller that also makes you think. You can find it on your favorite ebook platform or at trucepodcast.com. Now, back to the show. What does Christianity have to do with Scott Pruitt? I asked Tom why they chose to include Pruitt's faith in the embedded piece. 
Yeah, so Scott Pruitt, you know, one of the things while doing the research that I we found is that his religious faith, and he's Southern Baptist, um, informs a lot of his politics, and it's something that he's talked about quite a bit. You know, I think I had this impression of him heading into the reporting as someone very much on the sort of the business side of the Republican Party, you know, or the conservative movement, someone who's very close to, uh, you know, institutions like the Manhattan Institute or the Federalist Society, and Leonard Leo, who heads that group, is a political ally of his. The Koch brothers are big supporters. But as I was listening to a lot of Scott Pruitt's speeches, I heard him talk about his faith a lot and talk at a number of um, faith-oriented political conferences like the Faith and Freedom Coalition. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome the Attorney General of the state of Oklahoma, Scott Pruitt. Let me just give you an example. There's this story that Pruitt tells all the time. Embedded played a bunch of versions of the same spiel. This particular recording you're hearing is from C-SPAN's coverage of the Faith and Freedom Coalition Conference from June 19, 2015. Pruitt was then the Attorney General of Oklahoma. Many years ago, I attended, uh, I was in Romania visiting with churches there, and we were there on a mission trip, and I was working with individuals that had actually been a part of their revolution. And I went through a church and I looked up on the wall and I saw pictures of pastors from the 1950s and 1960s. And I asked the person I was walking with, I said, I, I, I'm a little confused. I know who was in authority, who was in power during the 1950s and 1960s in Romania. It was the Communist Party. From 1947 to 1989, Romanians did not enjoy freedom of religion. So Pruitt was surprised. Why would there be pictures of pastors on the wall from that era if there wasn't freedom of religion? In Romania, and I see these pictures of pastors up on the wall. Did you, did you actually meet in worship during that time frame? And the, and the person said, yes, we met every week. But as we met in worship, there was always someone in attendance from the government who listened to everything that we said. And if we exported outside the four walls of the church, that which we were taught inside the four walls of the church, we were arrested persecuted and prosecuted. It's true. Romanians couldn't evangelize. They had to be monitored by the government. And remember, this recording is from 2015, before the election of Donald Trump. So Scott Pruitt is going to scare people a little bit about Hillary Clinton. There are people in this country today, one person in particular who's on the Democrat ticket for president, who believes that our First Amendment right only guarantees you the right to worship on Sunday and not to live out your faith in the public square. Let me say to you unequivocally that the First Amendment of our Constitution gives you the right to live out your faith in the public square. It is not a private faith. It's not just about worship. It's about living free exercise in the public place every single day. For Scott Pruitt, it's all about religious liberty about keeping the government from overreaching. When the government tries to regulate something, anything really, it's after your religious freedom. It's a huge logical leap. There are two basic camps when it comes to Genesis 1. Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The first is that the commandment tells us to make use of the environment, to cultivate the ground, eat of its bounty, to protect the earth, sometimes through legislation that stops polluters from harming the planet. Defend it so it keeps producing for generations. The other is how many more vocal Christians see it, that Genesis 1 gives us the right to use the resources God gave us, 
and anyone trying to stop that to regulate it is encroaching on our God-given right. Regulating the environment is equal to regulating religion. Scott Pruitt seems to back both horses. There's this, I don't know, smokescreen, a breakdown in logic. Tom Dreisbach put it this way. Well, I, I would say, I would summarize his position a little bit more nuanced than that. He has a position that he believes the climate is changing and he believes humans impact that and or, you know, are at least one factor in why the climate is changing. Here he is in an interview on CBN. Truly, I mean, and, and clearly, the climate changes. There's no, if, for someone to say that someone's a skeptic or, or, or a climate denier about the climate changing, that's just nonsensical. I mean, we see that throughout history. We impact the climate by our activity. Um, but where he disagrees with the scientific consensus on this is what the effects of that climate change will be. Um, he's, he said he wants to hold a debate, literally a debate, you know, he called it a red team, blue team debate about, you know, discussing what the effects of climate change will be, um, which many mainstream scientists think is outrageous. It upsets climate scientists because it seems pretty obvious to them what the effects of climate change are. A debate suggests there's still some question. Scott Pruitt says he's responsible when managing the environment. The biblical worldview with respect to these, these issues is that we have a responsibility to, to manage and cultivate, harvest mm -hmm. uh, the natural resources that we've been blessed with uh, to, to, to truly bless our fellow mankind. But then he helps back us out of the Paris Climate Change Agreement uh, to wiggle out of plans to limit emissions by power plants. And he didn't move to reduce chicken waste going into the Illinois River. Which is how the Embedded team went from simply producing a story about the head of the EPA to a story about a Christian head of the EPA who doesn't like to regulate industry. The Embedded reporters heard the speech about Romania and others like it, and it seemed like they ought to include it in their piece. Here's Tom again. So at that moment, I thought, oh, OK, so he is part of a a broader part of the conservative movement than just the sort of business side. And as I listened more, he, I heard more interviews with him where he would talk about the importance to him of bringing his faith to the public square. That's the way he puts it, that it's important for him to proclaim and to discuss his faith in public. And so that kind of raised the question for me, well, what is his faith? What is, what is guiding him? Um, and, to what extent does that inform his politics and his policies? A lot of us Christians are wary when we hear secular media organizations covering religion. It seems like we mostly get press when we're tied to bad actors, to scandals. Well, certainly, you know, I don't want to make people think that all Christians think like Scott Pruitt or that all evangelicals or even all Southern Baptists think the way that Scott Pruitt does. Um, but I guess I would just push back against the idea that this is necessarily bad. I mean, there's a large number of people who agree with Scott Pruitt's views on the environment. Um, and I think, you know, he has a strong base, certainly in, in his church in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, for, the, for these views. You know, I think the thing you want to always avoid is any kind of stereotyping or relying on broader um, generalizations about someone's religious faith. And so what was really important in the reporting process was to examine the specifics of his faith and to examine um, 
you know, exactly what he has said and what that has translated to in terms of policy. So not to overgeneralize what Southern Baptists believe or evangelicals believe more broadly, but to really just look at what Scott Pruitt himself believes and then hold that up a little bit to the light to help people understand where he's coming from and, and what he plans to do as EPA administrator. You know, it's funny. When you put things out into the world, sometimes you get a big response and sometimes... <laughs> There's cricket. So I don't know. I was I was I guess I'm curious for you. You know, how did it come across to you? I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I I I'm one of those. <laughs> I kind of like to be have my fire stoked and my, my brain going at, at 100 miles an hour. Um, there are always <laughs> interesting things listening to podcasts uh, or especially for NPR. And again, I listen to almost everything NPR does um, mm-hmm. on and off. But uh there are a few moments where it's kind of like, I wonder if they have any Christians on staff. Mm, a few mm-hmm. things sort of like um, defining what a pri- uh, crisis pregnancy center is. It's kind of like, oh, th- those are all over the place. You know, sure. it's not just sort of a, a, a localized thing um, in Oklahoma. There are ways that like that, uh, even just referring to was anti-abortion or anti-choice versus pro-choice. You know, those kinds of things are just editorial choices. That you make, um, and I've gotten used to that with NPR. That that's sort of standard. Yeah. So on on abortion, particularly, you know, we have um, strong editorial guidelines on that. That we refer to people or organizations not as pro life or pro choice or anti life and anti choice, basically because, and this is pretty consistent across most um, news organizations. I think it's a, the Associated Press guidance. Um, because it feels like those terms can be loaded, um, that they're they're trying to, you know, obviously they're trying to bring people to their side of the argument. And so the language we try to use is anti-abortion or anti-abortion rights and pro-abortion rights. Let me interrupt this candid part of the conversation to say that the Associated Press does recommend the words pro-abortion rights and anti-abortion rights, which to many conservatives sounds like the AP picked a side. Because whoever is anti-something sounds like the bad guy. It's plenty controversial in its own right because it makes conservatives stop listening to the reporting and get caught up in that one phrase. An otherwise unbiased conversation can get hijacked pretty quickly. Yeah, and it's always a tricky thing when you're discussing something that one group of people is intimately familiar with, you know, like a crisis pregnancy center, but other folks might not be at all. Um, and so it's always a, a balancing act to say, you know, you, you want to bring people who aren't familiar with the concepts along while also not alienating folks who are very close to those ideas, um, which is always a tricky balance no matter what you're covering, whether it's you know, faith-based issues or anything else. Right. And I think, uh, I mean, again, I, I totally respect your editorial choice in doing it because he did say it. But when Nick Garland is at the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, there's a moment where he lumps together like every controversial stance uh, in, in like two sentences. <laughs> and he's yelling when he does it. I was like, oh, gosh, I really wish they hadn't chosen that, that clip. This is in this generation where people are trying to decide what they believe about sex. It's because we've forgotten the one who made them male and female. In a generation where we're not sure if God created because we've propagandized evolution, we've forgotten in the beginning God 
And they believe environmentalists are wrong to worship the earth. Instead, one should worship God. They exchange the truth of God for a lie, worship and serve the created somethings instead of the creator. Do you hear about God's glorious creation or the green movement or global warming or Mother Earth? Because it's oh, it's just so much to deal with in one shot. Um, especially when somebody's yelling. I mean, nobody sounds good yelling in a in a speech. Yeah, that was. And I again, I respect that choice, but it it just kind of is is painful. It's painful to hear that sometimes. Uh, when you see behavior like this, does it shape your personal uh, ideas about things? Does it does it ever impact you personally? Hmm. Well, you know, every story leaves a mark for sure you know it makes you think a little differently about the world or about the story you're covering um you know i think you know obviously one of the real great benefits of being in this job is that it exposes you to a very wide variety of people who live in a very wide variety of ways and who have had a lot of different life experiences so i think every story really leaves you with something um, and and shifts your perspective at least a little bit. Um, it's just very lucky to be able to constantly be learning something new, um, whether on this story or on, or on any other that we've done. So, you know, I get to cover a lot of different things, um, which is just really fun in a lot of ways. I mean, sometimes it's, it's tough, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel very, very lucky to be able to do this work and to talk to the, the amount of people that I do and to let people... And to have people share their stories with me, I, I mean, it's just very, it's a very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's um, it's a privileged position, I think. I wanted to include that bit of audio for a number of reasons. We sometimes hear that there's a war on religion fueled by the media. I don't really get that sense from Joe and Tom. They really couldn't have been more helpful or more available. Which leads me to say that the conclusions reached from here on out are all me. These do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Joe Wirtz, Tom Dreisbach, NPR, or Embedded. See, I respect people's opinions about energy policy. Obviously, we still need oil and gas for energy. My car is powered by gasoline. My bicycle is lubricated with oil. There are any number of good arguments for the energy industry and for renewables, uh, for doing both responsibly. And we need that debate in this country. When we try to justify our politics with really out-of-context Bible quotes, with fear-mongering, we get into sticky territory because it's not there in the text. Genesis 1 does not give us permission to be reckless with the environment and to harm others. If anything, it says we're to protect the environment. It also doesn't say anything that refutes the existence of climate change or global warming. Let's play a little more from the CBN clip. Now, Listen to how this broadcaster says the words global warming. As for climate change or global warming, the environmental left labels Pruitt a science denier. Did you catch that? The, you know, sarcasm he used when he said global warming? How does it make us look when we talk like that? I mean, seriously, stop and think for just a moment. As for climate change or global warming, the environmental left labels- When we talk like this, we sound entitled cranky, like we don't know what we're talking about, and worse still, it corrupts our testimony. 
the news coverage, this embedded story could just be about Scott Pruitt, his policies, the weird pay raises, and the soundproof booth. And we should be talking about how we regulate the environment or how we don't regulate it. Instead, Christ gets dragged into a debate in which the Bible is largely silent, at no fault of his own, and it hurts our witness for making us look uncaring, obsessive, and in the pockets of big business, instead of loving to widows, orphans, and our neighbors downstream. Special thanks to my guest, Joe Wirtz. You can find him on Twitter. At Joe Wirtz, which is J-O-E-W-E-R-T-Z. And thanks also to Tom Dreisbach, who is also on Twitter. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at at Tom Dreisbach. Um, Dreisbach is a little tough to spell. It's D-R-E-I-S as in Sam, B as in boy, A-C-H. Embedded is available wherever you find podcasts. The Trump stories are especially informative. Tell me what you think about Truce on Facebook and on Twitter at at TrucePodcast. Our website is TrucePodcast.com, where you can find out information about my other projects and support this show. Please tell your friends about the show because I don't have much of a marketing budget and the word of mouth is the best word. Special thanks to Andy Huff, who created our Truce logo, and for Nick Steeren and Seth Robertson for their editorial help. There are more great episodes coming your way. Some more on church history, a follow-up of last season, I think you'll like where this is going. Help spread the word, leave a positive message on your podcasting app, and God willing, we'll talk again soon. I'm Chris Starin. This is Truce.